Hello and welcome to FinTech Insider Insights. I'm Ross Gallagher, Director at 11FS Ventures. In today's episodes, we're delving into holistic financial well-being. So what does that mean, I hear you ask? Well, we are going to be answering exactly that while looking at the value add for customers within the ecosystem of one brand, how the brands can cultivate that customer stickiness and retention to keep them within the brand's umbrella, while offering them new products and services to improve their financial health and management. We also want to look at the balance between guidance and advice and how to bake this into propositions and how brands can tread the line between the two while still offering value to customers. We'll discuss all of this and more in today's show, but first, a few brief messages, so please don't go anywhere. Looking to take your customer journeys to the next level and benchmark your products against the best in financial services? Well, look no further than 11FS Pulse. Home to over 5,700 user journeys covering everything from onboarding to crypto. It features analysis of global brands like Nubank, Revolut, and Robinhood. It's already tried and trusted by big names like Monzo, whose co-founder Jonas said their research phase took just a tenth of the time it normally would, thanks to 11FS Pulse. Join Monzo and hundreds of other brands taking their UX game to the next level by booking a demo today at 11fspulse.com forward slash demo. That's 11fspulse.com forward slash demo. Hello and welcome LFG people to Fintech Insider. Watching Insider. 11FS Spotlight. 11FS Explores. Open mic night. After dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. As always, I'm joined by some outstanding guests who can shed some light on this question. First off, it's great to be joined by Nero Nimalan, Head of Digital Transformation at NatWest Group. Nero, thanks for being here. Maybe you can just give our listeners a quick overview of, uh, of you and your role uh, at NatWest. Thanks very much for having me, Ross. This is my kind of go-to podcast when I go for a run. So uh, it's going to be a bit strange hearing myself when I, when I run, but there you go. Um, so I head up digital transformation for the NatWest Group. So the retail bank um, within the NatWest Group is, um, is 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 a team that I lead. Um, it's formed of NatWest, Royal Bank, and and Ulster Bank. And part of my role is to lead the proposition and experience design team that uh, design the stuff for our digital channels. So I've been with the NatWest Group for nearly eight years now, and we're driven by a very strong purpose to help our kind of people, families, and um, businesses thrive. And one of the ways we do that is by having financial well-being at the core of our kind of product and proposition development. So uh, looking forward to the conversation. Love that, Nero. It's great to have you. And um, I know obviously it's a topic that that, that sort of you're uh, you're immersed in. So thank you for coming on to share your insights as well. And at least we're not making you run 
while we record. So, <laughs> you know, at least at least that's something. All right, we also have a FinTech Insider debut for Audrey Zada, uh, Director of Product Communications for Lemonade. Um, Audrey, welcome to the show. Maybe you can just uh, remind our listeners about Lemonade and a little bit uh, about yourself as well. Sure, thanks so much for having me. Um, Lemonade is an insurance company. We are live across the United States and in several countries in Europe. Um, we offer several different kinds of insurance products. We are direct to consumer for the most part. Everything is super digital, so everything is really easy to use, and we try to make things really easy to understand. As director of product communications, my job is to sort of make sure that from the first ad you see to buying your policy to filing a claim if you have the bad luck and need to do so, um, that Lemonade looks and feels the same across product lines, across different moments of the experience, whether you're on the app or speaking to someone from our support team. Um, really excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, no, we're so excited to have you. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So thanks again for jumping on, Audrey. And finally, it's Yet another debut on Fintech Insider for Sujata Bhatia, COO at Monzo Bank. Um, Sujata, Monzo really needs no introduction, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and the the things that you've worked on at Monzo. Hi, it's nice to meet you all. Um, well, we have 8 million customers. We have quite a few more to go. So I would say for those of you that don't know, Monzo is the bank that lives on your phone. And our mission is to make money work for everyone. And our plan is to become the financial control center that brings your entire financial life together. It just helps you make all the right decisions to improve your financial health, to enable your life goals and overall well-being. So this topic is very topical for us. Um, I've been here just over three years, and I lead customer operations, marketing, design, user research, and people. Um, and before that, I had about 16 years at another financial services company, American Express. Awesome. Well, look, again, thanks again for jumping on. I think it's a it's a great panel with some sort of diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to jumping in and, and and discussing our topics. So yeah, look, let's let's do just that, and maybe let's uh, let's start with a little sort of round the virtual room. Let's have a a little chat about you know holistic well being. It all sounds great, like surely we should all have that. But I guess uh, what does it mean, right? Um, what does it mean in your specific context within your sort of day to day within the organization? Maybe Nero, why don't we start with you? Yeah, sure. So. In, ter in terms of holistic financial well-being, it's really understanding what the cost customers' kind of financial goals goals are, and how do we how do we as a bank help help support the customer with meeting those financial well-being needs. I think part of that is is going beyond products and services and really building that relationship up with our customers. I think when we go back to the years of yesteryears in terms of customers walking into a branch. One of the key things from that experience is it's not just about customers going in there to deposit money. It's also about the relationship that customers have with the branch stuff and then feeling that the branch stuff really understand them. So I guess in a digital world, the key focus for us is how do we get to that level of trust and relationship that we build with our customers? So for, for us, a key way of doing that is through financial well-being and really understanding the needs. I think I think you've summed that up really, really well. I think for me, it feels like there's often been a, almost like a service gap, right, between sort of traditional financial products and features and then the things that customers are actually trying to get done in their life. So for me, I suppose a lot of what we're going to talk about today is sort of bridging that gap, really. Um, Audrey, what do you think? I guess some of that, I can see you nodding. I guess some of that resonated. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I'll add is that I think... Um 
holistic financial well-being doesn't just have to do with, you know, accumulating wealth and managing debt, but it's really about feeling secure and, and being in a position of control and really being able to make good choices for yourself. So at Lemonade, we're talking about insurance and financial well-being really has to do with um, something that people usually have to get, something that's either required by them, uh, for them by law or by a landlord. Um, and so people don't always feel like they're choosing it for themselves, but it's uh, it's something that does make life a lot easier and really sets you up to, to be in control. So I think um, a lot of it has to do with knowing what you have, understanding what you need, and being in a position to make those choices so that as your life changes over time, you can make more great choices for yourself and and sort of grow with your own opportunities. That is an incredibly interesting lens because I think insurance isn't necessarily, like you said, something that people are thinking about on a sort of ongoing basis. I think as well, um, it's not necessarily something that you associate with positive experiences, right? Often when you're interacting with your insurance brand, it's because something bad has happened, right? And you, 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 if you have that cover in place, then great. But I think there's something as well around how do you help customers make the best decisions for them for a, a product like insurance, but equally, you know, pensions, et cetera. Like, how do you know if you're putting enough aside that how do you know when you're going to be able to retire comfortably? And for me, I think there's definitely something in building people's confidence. I think you said it, you said helping people make the, the right decisions, do the right things for them in a financial services context. And I feel like that's definitely something that's uh, that typically been lacking. Um, Sujata, what do you think? I agree with everything that, that's been said and insurance is an interesting category of money um, that, that Audrey talked about. I mean, fundamentally, like there's three things that change people's lives. It's like education, healthcare, and money. So it's just one of those universal categories that's incredibly personal and it touches everything in your life outside of your, you know, your day-to-day financial management. That's actually still kind of a relatively narrow definition. I think you asked what financial well-being is, and I think that's about taking the anxiety and pressures away that money creates. For most people, this is an anxious thing. Um, And whether that's helping you manage your impulsive spending behavior or taking away strains in relationships that can be caused by money or taking away a barrier to progress and achieving your life goals, really well-being is about like turning that all on its head. So moving away from working for money but making your money work for you is what I would say. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if I stick with that point around anxiety, and I think we mentioned it before, sort of confidence, I feel like nobody likes to do the things that we feel like we're not good at, right? Like it makes us feel bad. We tend to procrastinate. And I think a lot of people feel like they're not very good with money. And so I suppose that becomes quite a vicious cycle. Nero, how do you start to think about breaking that cycle, essentially? I think so. Obviously, training, training, and raising financial awareness, and so on. But I think there's a there's a very important point around. It's very very difficult to change people's habits, and and one of the best things about digital is the ability for us to try to automate a lot of things for customers. So how do we even take that thinking away from them, and it just happens in the background? There's something around automation that can play a huge part in financial well-being. So that's something that we need to kind of really hone in on and look at what kind of new propositions that we can develop in that space. In terms of those training and that awareness, but there is gamification that can also play a bigger part in this. So 
simple things like uh, to help customers save, for example, can we gamify that experience for them so that, so for example, if you haven't spent that money on that coffee, can you just automatically just click on a button and it gets added to your savings? So how do we gamify stuff? How do we automate stuff to really help change that habit in, in, in a more subtle way for customers? There's something around that uh, which would be good to kind of drill a bit more deeper into. No, I completely agree. Um, and I think actually um, when you think about, and I suppose actually this goes back to um, what we were talking about around that sort of service gap for me. I think some of the the sort of products and features that we're all very familiar with in a financial services context are good at some bits of helping you manage your finances. Like we get paid and then we set up all of our recurring commitments to go out through direct debits or standing orders so we can automate to a point but actually it's it's everything that goes beyond that it's how do you manage the discretionary portion of your spend it's actually how do you get a sense for where you stand holistically across all of your accounts at any point in a month how do you get to the end of the month that i feel like we we start to fall short a little bit and actually i think people have had to develop this whole series of like manual hacks and workarounds, whether it's keeping track of everything in a notebook or a spreadsheet or whatever people have. Um, I saw an example recently. It's around that time of year, isn't it, where um, first-year university students are getting ready to leave home and go and live away from home for the first time. And I saw that IKEA had created a list of all of the sort of basic items that you would need to leave home for the first time and be able to set up away from home. They had bundled it all together and then they had sold it as a single product with a reduced rate. I mean, it's kind of like, what's the financial services version of that for me, right? Like, where are we starting to add value over and above those sort of commodity products? Um, I mean, Sujeta, what do you think? Yeah, you kind of have to also... Um you have to own your relationship with money, right? You know, the one-size-fits-all list, I think, is is really helpful when you're going off to uni because everybody probably needs, like, a comforter and a laundry basket. Um, but, you know, every person's individual relationship with money will be different where their life stage is at, what their personal needs are, what their own goals are at. So I agree with the ambition. I think that the way you get there is a little bit different. And I, and I think it's about how you help people build a muscle without feeling like they've been through a workout, right? That mix of like, a, you know, Nero's a runner. So, um, you know, to run the marathon, um, you build that up over time and, a different, and at different stages. And so, I think it's about being able to serve up contextually at the right life stage with a very low cognitive load, the small, simple decisions that can help somebody further their own personal goals at that stage. Um, and, and you should never overestimate like the lack of appetite for cognitive load. People don't want to think about this category a lot. So winning is not getting them to engage deeply because not everybody wants to be an expert on money, but they do want the simple decisions that are kind of no-brainers that will help them make progress on where they are in their lives. I mean, I think our yesterday we launched an investments product. Um, I don't know when this podcast is going out, so this might be months later, but, <laughs> but we launched an investment product. And core to that product was this idea of, like, let's take the, every not everybody needs to be investing large sums right now in a, in a fund, but building the muscle to build your investments over time is important. So, like, part of, core to that product is you can invest as little as a pound from day one. Um, we have lots of little education vignettes that you can consume in really bite-sized chunks over time as you get through the different stages of that 
product to help you get the information you need when you need it. So I, I think it's about helping people get on that journey and meeting them where they are. I, I totally agree. I think this is something we see a lot at Lemonade. We meet most of our customers as renters, and we know that they're not going to stay renters forever. But, you know, we work to educate them about what is a renter's policy, what are the different coverages, and a lot of overlap exists with the homeowner's policy, but we work really hard to give them an amazing experience and make it feel manageable, give them confidence around having an insurance policy so that when they finally get off their parents' car insurance that they're going to come to Lemonade. When they have a pet, they're going to get pet insurance, and a family, they're going to get life insurance with us, um, and that, you know, these pretty predictable life cycle events are, are really opportunities to grow um, as customers here at Lemonade. And so uh, really being able to help them build confidence in the beginning is, is sort of how we, we look at the whole thing. I think um, another thing that, that you were talking about before kind of reminds me of our pet insurance, right? You're talking about um, taking accountability for your money and really being able to plan ahead. And I think pet insurance is pretty different from some of our other products because it is so, um, it's sort of like money that you know you're going to need to spend. We have so many more claims for our pet insurance than you would have in a car insurance product or a home product. Um, so, you know, a base policy is going to help cover things like accidents and illnesses that your pet might have. And then you can get add-ons for expensive things that you probably know you're going to pay for, like a dental cleaning or if your vet has visit fees um, or like the vaccines that they need to get on an annual basis. And basically what you're doing is you're making choices that make it really easy for you to take good care of your pet um, because you've kind of already financed them through your pet insurance policy. So I think it's, you know, like you said, how we can grow with people over time, how we can give them confidence and, and also kind of make them feel like insurance experts in, in these lighter policies, like a renter or a pet experience. Well, what I love about what you said, Audrey, and you didn't say it out loud, but you implied it, is like core to that, to meeting them along that journey is is building the trust. So that that customer, that partner of yours being in a two-way dialogue and, and and knowing that you understand them and that you're you're there to help them enable those goals. And that's how you have that permission to to follow them on that journey. And it's it's a great example almost of like the reverse of what we said earlier about often when you engage with insurance, it feels quite negative. I think what we're kind of saying is like, in this context, it actually makes you feel like a responsible adult and you're actually sort of like taking ownership and you're doing the right things. As someone who has a two-year-old dog who likes to get into tricky situations, <laughs> I can identify with all of everything that you just described, Audrey. And, and, you know, in a digital space, you can make that really emotive. Like if you've, if you've used Monzo, when you get paid early, you draw that pay packet and you throw it into your pot and it explodes in confetti. And it's like a celebration with you to show like we get that this is an important moment for you and we understand why this is a moment to celebrate. And that's like another way to start to create that connection. Completely agree. And, and Nero, actually, if I bring it back to, because um, this is all really interesting context for me, specifically in relation to what you said about automation. And I think I think what we're sort of getting to is getting to that piece around automation actually probably needs to be gradual. I think to Sujata and Audrey's point, you need to build that trust. You need to help them build the confidence. There's probably some smaller things early on that are quick wins that maybe lead to that that building of trust and then having the permission to be able to automate a little bit more and a little bit more. No, I agree. I think a, a very simple example of uh, an automation that has gone down really well with our customers is is roundups. So just helping customers get onto the kind of savings ladder 
in in a very automated way, Roundups is is a brilliant tool for to to help customers on that on that journey. And there's probably a number of other things that that we can do on that front. But I think the key thing is when we to what Sujata mentioned in terms of building that kind of muscle for customers, we need to really understand what stage customers are at and how do we present the right propositions for them at the right stage. And I think that, and I think on that front, we need to utilize both kind of the implicit data as well as the explicit data that we have of the, from the customers. So implicit data is things that we, we already know through transactional information and so on, but asking customers uh, about how they feel about money, what are their goals, what are their ambitions is just as important because we shouldn't really be making decisions without consulting them. And I think that comes back to my initial point around how do we build that relationship and how do we build that kind of trust with customers? Yeah, and how do you how do you learn about that customer, right? And what are their what are their needs, what are their wants, what are their goals? Um, and I suppose just building that intelligence. And I suppose the interesting thing about intelligence, and it'd be good to get actually the panel's um, perspective on this. Maybe Audrey, I'll come to you. But it feels like the technology is moving in a way that we probably could start to move towards like real automation of people's sort of money flows. Like, I mean, if you think about it, our, we all typically get paid an income, whether that's a salary or a little bit of a side hustle, and then it just gets cut up probably a thousand different ways. And some of it goes towards paying debt and some of it goes to savings and some of it goes, it's like our fund money and pension and all of that sort of stuff. And I think that's where you you start, you start do start to see some of those manual workarounds because at the moment, not a right lot of that is automated. I think we're moving at least technologically to a point where we can support some of that automation. But I think going back to what we said, it needs to be balanced with the customer's comfort, but those sort of essentially those permission levels, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think um, I let it go when you said Ikea's got this bundle deal and I didn't talk about how we bundle insurance policies, but it's a lot harder for me to stay quiet about automation because automation is actually a huge part of what we're focused on at Lemonade. Um, I would say it's even a huge part of our internal culture. Actually, about 45% of our claims are handled end-to-end using automation without any human interaction at all. And our chatbot AI Jim, who handles claims in the Lemonade app, handles like 98% of the first notices of loss that come in. So we're at least using automation to triage claims when a human needs to be involved. I think obviously, you know, Lemonade has worked really hard on figuring out how you can use automation and chatbots to interact with customers in a way that feels really human and has a lot of empathy. Um, I think one of the things that really draws people to Lemonade is being able to handle things on their own. So, you know, when we think about automation, I wouldn't say that it's always at the expense of a, a positive human interaction or feeling supported and and having empathy there. I think um, that's something that, you know, since we launched in 2016, I think it's something Lemonade's been kind of known for. And I think where you really need to make sure that you've got the holistic thing working for you is the handover from an automated experience to human support, um, making sure that, you know, whatever experience your customer is having, that that handover is really seamless and that it feels like part of the same experience. And I think, you know, 
we sort of build things at Lemonade in a way that people can kind of help themselves. So insurance isn't usually something people are very enthusiastic about. They probably want to come in, get what they need, and move on to the next item on their to-do list. Um, but there are some people who do want to understand all of the details. And so we try to, you know, create pockets where they can get more of that information, speak to a human if that's something that pr- they prefer. Um, I think all of us are talking about so many different kinds of customers. And so knowing that you have people who are going to be more enthusiastic about your service than others, uh, really being able to give people the opportunity to strictly use automation and have it be sort of as as quick of an experience as possible, but also making sure that, um, you know, when you need a human touch, it's there. And you think about in insurance, we can have some really devastating claims that, you know, we don't want to just have some kind of like Band-Aid ripped off experience. You really need people to walk you through and help you understand um, damages or risks. And um, I think just being able to learn from your customers, both in in the interactions that you have with them when there's not a human involved, um, and then also <laughs> like where, what their pain points are, can really kind of bridge the gap between those two things. And I think, you know, this is a very exciting year for automation. I think there's so much more that we can do. And, you know, Lemonade is certainly working hard to be at the forefront of uh, how we bring new technologies into our customer experience. And, and I really do believe that um, that happens without being at the expense of a positive, empathetic, and and human interaction. Yeah, really well said. Um, I think the panel was like furiously nodding when you were talking about like you know how you pair good automation with good sort of human touch points. Um, Suggest really interested to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think automation is just a tool, right? Like it's it's a tool to either, and I agree with everything you said, so it's a valuable tool. It's a valuable tool to drive greater efficiency. It's a valuable tool to, you know, manage the repeatable tasks. It's a valuable tool to reduce cognitive load when that turns up to a customer. That's all wonderful, but like, it's just a tool. Like what's underlying all of that is that kind of deep customer connection, um, which has to be in the DNA of any company that's, that's working with customers. And so, I think Audrey, you give great examples about servicing. If I if I take the other counterpoint, is like uh, it's also important in in creation. Like so, in Monzo, like corridor DNAs, we co-create with our customers. That's how the company was invented. We literally invited customers physically into our premises to help us build the product. We engage with them, and you know, so many different customer touch points, different customer operations to social and community listening posts. We have a user research team that's at a scale that's significantly larger than most companies. So the the human connection is the core of you know the dna that you have to build and the way that you understand what those needs are and build those products and services the tools like automation are just ways to achieve the outcomes that customers need or as a company for you to be able to achieve them on their behalf um so i it, they're really important but it's just another tool in your arsenal Nice. No, I completely agree. And actually, we've got a little bit more time to dig into that in the next section. So what I'll do is I'll take us to a quick break and we'll be back very shortly. Commercial banking is changing faster than many banks can keep pace with. The innovation that's been unleashed by digital technologies and fintechs has transformed what commercial banking looks like today. In our brand new report, in association with Infosys Finical, we explore the new generation of commercial banking, how value chains are being transformed, and what banks need to do to thrive in this new ecosystem. A must-read report for anyone in commercial banking, we combine our insights with those of 14 thought leaders from across financial services to break down the current situation, 
the catalysts of change and what impact it will have on the industry. Don't miss out. Download your copy today at 11fs.com forward slash commercial banking. Okay, welcome back. Now, in this part of the show, we want to dig into balancing the human touch with truly digital solutions, as well as examining the difference between guidance and advice and how hard it is for financial institutions to walk this line. Um, maybe, Nero, we'll, we'll start with you again. Um, why break the habit of a lifetime, or at least this show? Um, so how much does digital and digital transformation make sort of holistic planning and well-being easier? So, so digital plays a massive part in bringing real-time tracking to customers. So customers can log into the, to the mobile app, to online banking, whatever it is, track their investments, track their balances, um, set budgets quickly, have a clear action plan, set all of that up and have it in the kind of palm of their hands wherever they go. I think digital gives them that level of control that they might not have through kind of analog means. That's that's one thing. The second thing it does is it enables us to kind of provide them with with insights at at the right time as well. So uh, a really really interesting insight that we recently provided to customers for our, on their transactions was some of our customers have um, subscriptions to multiple streaming sites, for example, and they weren't even aware of it. It's just by kind of raising awareness of certain things that customers weren't even aware of help customers save money because they didn't realize they, didn't, they even had three um, subscription um, services um, on, on their accounts. So giving those kind of personalized insights, having a real-time view of, uh, of their transactions, all of that really helps build a customer's ability to manage their money much, much better than, than through analog means. In, in, in the past, uh, and even even now, to a certain degree, we we do financial health checks in in our branches where customers come in, have a chat chat with our kind of teams in our branches, go through their finances and get recommendations, uh, which which is a great thing, which is which is uh, which is amazing for the customer because coming back to the initial point about building the relationship, it's 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 brilliant. But that continuous kind of conversation with the customer can only happen when uh, that analog meeting is then kind of augmented through digital means. So how do we then create a, a seamless path for those customers to kind of take away what the, the conversations that they've had and then continuously see how they're progressing against those those actions. So this comes back to the point Audrey mentioned around the the digital and kind of human touch. How do we become more seamless between the analog world and the digital world so that we can help customers there? Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And there is something in that, like being able to go to a branch, sit down with someone face to face when you're trying to do something like, you know, build that understanding. What are the things that I could be doing better in terms of my own financial habits, behaviors, et cetera? I think your point is absolutely key then about how you seamlessly transition that experience across all of the different channels um, and make it all feel um joined up and consistent. Audrey, one thing that I did want to come back to you about um, a point that you raised um, in the in the previous section was around building that sort of that initial understanding of customers. How does Lemonade as a, you know, I suppose, how do you how do you build that understanding of customers? And then how do you feed that into the, the product design um, process? 
So I think, um, you know, Lemonade was built with behavioral economics in our business model. And so I think we really tried to take a fresh look at how insurance works. I think, um, you know, people don't always understand everything about insurance and and maybe they're not sure exactly what they need, but they know what their pain points are. Um, And so I think when Lemonade first launched, it was pretty obvious to us what kinds of things we thought were missing from the experience. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure that I I mention here, I think, you know, we, we're sort of um, kind of defaulting that the human support experience is superior to an automated one. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's something we're really learning this year as, uh, as technology is kind of creeping into to giving us more data on, um, you know, human error and, and what this can look like. I think one of the things that I really love about Lemonade is that I think these... Uh, online experiences, they have beautiful interfaces and they're designed to be really intuitive and friendly. And that creates a really great experience where people can really feel um, confident about the choices that they're making. Um, I think beyond that, we've really built Lemonade in a way that we're able to collect data from every touch point that we have with customers. And so we can very quickly learn what kinds of things are not working, where are people not clear on what they're supposed to do or what they need. Um, And then also because you know, everything at Lemonade is is digital, um, we're able to fix that really fast. <laughs> um, and we also have, you know, a lot of ongoing communication with our customers. We're doing user research all the time, speaking with customers, um, really trying to understand what's working for them, what kinds of things they're missing, um, and make sure that, you know, Lemonade is a a solution that really supports them in, in something that can be really, really overwhelming. Yeah, I mean that's 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 coming through loud and clear for sure. Um and it's interesting just all of the the data that you're getting like sort of interaction data but then still sort of engaging with customers on an ongoing basis and building that in as well. Um so Jessica, one of the things that you mentioned again in the previous section was about in the early days of Bonzo how you invited your sort of users in and actually feed into the product design process and I know um as you sort of built out from there, I've always been um, really open about your product roadmap and all that sort of stuff. But you mentioned, I mean, eight million customers. How do you how do you how do you handle that at scale? Yeah, it's interesting because we talked a lot in the early days and even now about Monzo magic. And you, you talked about how we we let people in to help us co-design. We even um, offered when we had to change our name in the early days. We asked them to help us come up with the name, right? And so Monzo came from our customers. I, I always say the interesting thing is the second most common one of the 9,000 suggestions we received was my bank. And I think that that really says something about how um, people felt that this bank had been created for and and with them. And that and so to try to get that to scale, that degree of customer connection and that understanding of you know me, you understand me, I, I trust you, and I feel that we have this relationship is not super easy. You know, the digital bit, like I said, is kind of like a tactic. It's the tool. Um, but underlying that, you can slap a UI and a and a nice little app on any company, but unless like core to your DNA is that feeling of connection and understanding what user needs are and what customer needs are and building everything around that, um, it's just lipstick on a pig, right? So I think the, you know, the key for us has always been to figure out how do you systemize those magical moments and those connections in your company. So in a digital world, if that is the 
the tool that you're using to connect, it's a mix of humans, but also nimble product development of putting out, you know, products in the ether and co-creating them and iterating on them together, that kind of deep and always on user research. Empathetic, or you talked about thoughtful design, you know, um, that feeling of is your pay packet exploding or um, the, the little, you know, wiggling emoji in the corner that celebrates with you when you've reached your goal in a pot in a savings pot, you know, marketing, servicing, it all has to come together to create those connections. And so that has to be in the DNA of your business because customers smell fake and they can smell it from a mile away. So really it goes much, much beyond the digital. It really goes back to your company values and that customer first culture and how you hire and how you screen people when they come in the door. So that's actually the challenge of scale is making sure that, you know, it's very easy for that to get diluted. And how do you, for every single person you bring into your business, how do you make sure that that DNA around customer connection is deep and they're not just about you know, deploying things to customers, but about solving real problems. Um, and and so that's really what we spent a lot of time on to make sure that we could do that at scale. Yeah. No, it's everything, isn't it? It's literally like, I mean, it's, it's DNA is exactly the right term, I think, to use. That's an amazing anecdote about my bank. I'd never heard that before. Um, Another funny one that I only learned three months ago is that in the early days, we used to get a call spike at Christmas um, from our customers just calling to say thank you. Wow. For, like, being our bank. <laughs> like, wow, that's really? like an amazing heritage for a company, yeah. So we'd have a volume spike, and we'd have to, like, staff because we were getting all this inbound from customers saying I mean, thank you so much. That's it. I mean, who whoever thinks about phoning their bank um, to say thank you, right, um, and at Christmas when everybody's thinking about a million different things. But, look, it does speak to that sort of sincere and authentic connection, as you quite rightly said, that you've built with your users. I expect if this show... If we could put, you know, something out there that was easily replicable that sort of people could lift and shift, I expect this would be like our uh, most listened to episode of all time. Um, Nero, I wanted to come back to you. Um, I wanted to come back to you anyway, because we're talking about, you know, how do you do this? How do you do this at scale? And I mean, who's got more scale in the UK market than NatWest, right? Um, I'm interested in maybe some of your reflections on um, the, the, the sort of things that we discussed, obviously the lemonade context the Monzo context, what does that look like for NatWest? I think, I think at a start, we need to kind of focus internally in terms of our own internal ways of working and to kind of stretch this point, what's, what's that kind of magic that we need to kind of build internally so that we build the right products for our customers. So a few years ago, we shifted from being very much a product-led organization to one that is currently very much a customer journey-led organization. So we don't have product ma product managers anymore. We've got customer journey managers and customer journey developers and customer goal leads. So those are the kind of roles that we've, that we've got in the bank now. And, and very much their focus is on the end-to-end -end holistic customer journey, both digital and non-digital. So how do we how do we improve that journey for that customer? How do we go on that journey with them? How do we feel the same pain points that they're going through? How do we uh, build the right solutions and the right propositions that aren't necessarily product-led? So that's that's one of the kind of first first things that we did, and we've seen we've seen a huge amount of success by kind of moving on to that uh, moving on to that journey. Now, as we kind of mature as a customer journey-led organization, the next thing that we need to look at is how do we support our customers with their financial well-being through through the data that we hold about our customers? How how can we how can we 
be more engaging with uh, with the customer around how they could improve their financial well-being just by sharing with them the knowledge and insights that we hold about about them. So that's that's the next phase and that's the next step that that we're kind of building on. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love that. And it sounds like, I mean, again, it sounds like a real journey, but it sounds pretty, pretty all encompassing again. Right. Um, and that's the way that you have to, the, the way that you have to do it. Nero, if I stick with you, I think one of the things we said in the intro that we were keen to cover off in this show is this idea of sort of like guidance and advice. And I suppose if we start to think back to some of the things we said about taking some of the stress and the anxiety and the hard work out of um, managing their financial services for people, I suppose we're going to start to move into the realm of um, helping them make product decisions um, and maybe, you know, the sort of best product decisions for them. Um, how do you, how do you sort of, I suppose, approach that? How do you think about it? And how do you navigate that fine line between, um, from a regulatory perspective, of course, between offering um, guidance and advice? Yeah. So the first, the first place that we need to start is um, as a bank, we try to be more human in the way we kind of communicate with our customers. I think that is probably the best place to start. The, the gray line between kind of guidance and advice is something that we face into every day. And how, how we tackle that is through a, a combination of things. One is we do need, we do train our kind of customer journey managers and customer journey developers in terms of where that fine line is and how far they can kind of push that line to make sure that we're doing the right things from a customer perspective. There is a slight contradiction here, especially with consumer duty and the need to get, deliver better customer outcomes. So how do you do that by, at, at the same time by not kind of moving into the advice space? So I think that's a challenge that we face into every day. Personalization throws a further challenge into this because as you become more personalized, Again, you could quite easily move into the advice space if you don't, uh, if you're not careful. So, how do you, how do you become personalized, but do that in a way that you, that you give options to customers, so customers can themselves make make an informed choice based on the right options that we put in front of them. So, so those those are things that uh, that we're working on that we are trying to kind of. Um, help customers make more informed choices with, but that is definitely a challenge that we face into every single day. Yeah, I think you you set that out really well, um, and I think you described really well how much of a balancing act is really sort of you are walking a fine line, right? You want to deliver impact, impactful insights, I suppose, really to users, but you know you don't want to you don't want to fall foul of um, any any sort of um, regulatory position. I mean, um, Sujata, what's the, what's your view on this, uh, this particular topic? Yeah, I think advice is quite a high bar to be able to give advice in the sense that um, I think of advice as, you know, when you're offering a personal recommendation that is factoring in like every aspect of a, of a customer's situation. And that's, that's quite a high bar to set. So the way we focus on guidance, and that's much more about, that allows us to consider like a really wide range of scenarios that customers can identify with. It's important for them to identify their situation. And then you can talk about, okay, for folks in this situation, a common recommendation might be X, right? And, and they can sort of take their own path along that journey. 
I think guidance actually gets a bad rap in the sense that it can sound like a weak thing, but it can be pretty powerful. I think the problem with guidance actually is stands today is that it's pretty dry and like conservative. So I don't want to read, you know, a 20 page PDF or a document on investment strategies, but I'll even I will engage with like a, you know, a short TikTok to learn about how to start investing. Um, and so our goal really is to make guidance accessible, to revamp it, to make it relevant, to make it timely, um, and to make it consumable. Um, and then the customer's choice is to identify where they find themselves in that situation and what guidance they want to take. I think most people actually want guidance, not advice. They just need to be able to consume it, internalize it, and and do that with relatively little cognitive load. Yeah, and I guess in a in a format that they're comfortable with in a format that they're used to consuming things in which you're right i mean tiktok's a great example it definitely sort of pulls us more into like a uh a sort of social media sphere in terms of how that gets delivered um audrey what do you think and that's how you and that's how you build the muscle right that's how you help people empower themselves versus telling it's helping them make great decisions um which is you know really how people should what everyone should be aspiring to no, I completely agree. Audrey, what do you think? What's like the the sort of insurance lens on this, I guess? So I think it, it works a little bit different in insurance. For the most part, when you think about, um, you know, I think from a, a regulator standpoint, we may run a little bit less of a risk. Um, in the United States, obviously, there are really different risks with insuring a home in a different state. Um, and so state regulators are going to have um, not just like guidance or advice, but they're going to have requirements of things that people need to have. And a lot of the time when customers come to us, they already have a lender for their car or their mortgage lender or a vet who has either told them what they need based on the contract that they have with our customer um, or made recommendations on their own. So, you know, we we really only run into issues with this when we get into like our car insurance and and telling them, you know, we recommend this repair shop that that we have partnered with. <laughs> um, for, but for the most part, I think, you know, a lot of what Sujata said about um, really guiding people. I think we really try hard to make it really, really easy to understand everything that you need to know, make it easy to find the information that you need so that you're really in a position to make empowered choices um, and and really decide for yourself. And not having to digest that 40-page PDF that we talked about, <laughs> surfacing right. the, the relevant information that you need and all of that sort of stuff. Um, okay, look, great. So we always sort of finish on these insights show with a sort of round the room, um, you know, what should we sort of take away? So Nero, again, maybe if I just come to you first on this one, um, what's the one big thing that companies should bear in mind when setting out to serve customers' needs more holistically. So if you were to sum up the last 40 minutes of conversation with with one key takeaway. One of the things I'll probably say, which we haven't actually spoken about in the last 45 minutes, is uh, when you think about a customer's holistic financial well-being, we also need to be thinking about their networks. So their family relationships, their connections, how does that actually pay a play into their financial well-being? And I don't think there's there's enough propositions out there in the market that support customers on on that front. It's very much focused on their kind of immediate account balance and immediate saving needs and so on. But their relationship with their partner, their relationship with their families, how does networks play play into all of this? And I think that's something we need to focus on. Yeah, really nice. I love that because it's not just, you know, here's a joint account 
and away you go. Like, what's the sort of like the Google suite of like collaborative working for financial services? Like, I love that. That's a great one. Uh, Audrey, what about you? I mean, we're talking about holistic financial well-being. To me, it feels so personal. Um, I think that it really comes down to listening to your customers, really understanding what their needs are, what their concerns are, what their aspirations are. And, and then you can really start to build the foundation of a holistic approach for them. Um, and I think that when companies are prioritizing empathy in this kind of customer-centric approach, they're going to design products and experiences that really bring value and foster trust, um, which, you know, allows us to be a bigger part of their lives and, and grow with them over time. Um, and I, you know, I just love that Lemonade does get to be part of somebody's well-being in this way and uh, being able to learn from our customers and make them feel protected and safe, especially when it comes to the things that they love most or that they've invested the most in. Um, it's, you know, I think well-being is, is not a word that we think about all the time um, <laughs> in fintech, but it's a, I think it's, it's really, really important when it comes to, you know, how we connect with our customers and, and what we're building for them. I agree. I think if, for me, I think if I were to take two words away from this, I think two of them would be sort of empathy and connection. I think that's come out quite strongly. So, um, yeah, no, really well, really well said. I completely agree. Um, and Sujata, what about you? Um, I think I just build on what both Audrey and Yura said. So I agree with customer centricity, and I'd say we should all be setting the bar higher to what you just said, Ross, which is customer connection. So make it a dialogue, build with and for your customers, break down your product silos, ground yourself in your customer's journey, and make sure that that connection aspiration is like in the DNA of your company and your teams, uh, because that's the how. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to end. So that does wrap up today's discussion. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about you and your companies? I'm going to go reverse way around this time just because I'm getting comfortable picking on you, Nero, all the time. So, um, Sujata, what about you? Let's start with you this time. Uh, in the App Store, download the Monzo Bank account. In 10 minutes, you'll have your Monzo Bank account. You can discover all the joys that it has to offer. That is an expert plug. Congratulations. Um, Audrey, how about you? Lemonade.com. We're also in the App Store. And you can find us on Twitter, Lemonade underscore Inc. Excellent. Thank you. And Nero, how about you? Since we're going with the App Store theme, I'll also go with the App Store. And I'll I'll plug three of my brands. So NatWest, Royal Bank, and Ulster Bank. And you'll find them all in the App Store. All right. And you can find me at Ross Gallagher07 on Twitter. Um, and you can find out more about 11FS as ever on 11FS.com. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really does help us to make it better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks very much and goodbye.